I don't suppose there's any hiding where I stand on things today. And I find it somewhat interesting that we have this passage today. One of the things, the downside to uh, the methodology I'm using this year of, of these verses is they are planned out and they are uh, imperfectly but humanly you know, sequential and build off of one another as much as I can and unite around a theme. And so one of the downsides to that is you don't really have the freedom to react to world events. And yet so often... Because of the way I do these things, it's, it's intriguing to me how often the scripture passages that I might have picked months ago can still apply to the events of today. And I think we'll see that this morning in Psalm 143.10, our memory verse for this coming week. And we said it at the very beginning of the service, but I like to go ahead and, and say it through a few times, and as we do, we'll... We'll take some of these words away each time in the hopes that we will begin to start committing this to our memory. So if you would, say with me, Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We'll go ahead and take away some of the bigger words there, but leave a few so we're not completely lost. Say it with me again. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And one last time, we'll take away all the rest of the big words. Say it with me again, one last time. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. All right, amen. Well, this sermon this morning is a focus on teaching and and the, the, the request to God, teach, teach me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, right there at the very, the very first part of that verse, teach me to do your will for you are my God. We, we look back at the very first week here in February, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. And we focused on how because He is our God, we should love Him. Well, here in the verse, as we see it there, uh, for you are my God. The, the focus on the request to God that He would teach us to do His will is based on the fact that He is our God. Just as the, the, the focus on loving Him, the Lord is our God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Just as it was because He's our God, we should love Him. Here, uh, because He is our God, we call upon Him to teach us. And specifically, to do your will. The word will there uh, means the idea of favor. That which is acceptable. That which pleases a person. I 
My will is that which would please me. That which uh, I find to be a favorable thing. That which I find to be acceptable. So when my children disobey me, when they go against my will, they are doing something that I find unacceptable. They are doing something that displeases me. Now it may be that as they grow up and they go and do their own thing, they might do things that I would disagree with, that go against my will, but maybe those are the right things for them. Our wills are not finite, or excuse me, infinite. They are finite. They are not final. They are not the greatest. Our wills can be flawed. But when we talk about God and His will, that which pleases Him, and that's the thing, you know, a lot of times we talk about will kind of as, a, as an idea of law, good or wrong. Have you ever thought of God's will as that which is pleasing to him, that which he enjoys seeing people do? And oftentimes God's will is designed for our benefit. It is pleasing to him and it happens to be the best thing we could do. And anything else is less. Less than pleasing and less than the best that we could do. He, he doesn't desire to hurt us. He doesn't desire to uh, cause us grief and struggle. No, he actually has our best intentions for us in life. He desires us to have good things, and that is what his will is, that which is pleasing to him. And if he is your God, it is natural and normal that we should want to do what pleases God. Everybody has been created by him, and everybody in the world should do what is pleasing to him, but especially for those who call upon his name, who say they believe in him, who say they follow him through his son, Jesus Christ, we should want to do what pleases God. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Teach me to do your will. I want to do what is pleasing to you. I want to do your will. We should all want to do what is pleasing to God. And if you find in your life that you don't want to do what is pleasing to God, that's probably a pretty good indicator of where your heart is. We're not talking about ability to do what is pleasing to God. We're talking about desire. Do you want to do what's pleasing to God? I think if we're all honest, we can all say, no, not all the time. There are many times my will is more important than God's will. and What's pleasing to me is what I'm going to do if I know it's not pleasing to God. And that is the sin in our lives. The degree to which that rules us can tell us a lot about our heart condition. I know before becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, my desire to do is well, I might have had a, a certain desire to be better. I may have had a desire to uh, not sin. But did I have a desire to do His will? Only as long as it aligned with my will. But we're supposed to flip that script. Instead of it being based on what do I want, it needs to be based on what does He desire. And the more I strive to do what is pleasing to God, what is His will for me in life, the more I'm aligning my will to Him. Not trying to say, okay, as long as it's not going to hurt me, I'll follow God. And a good indicator for us about our salvation 
about how much we desire God and how much we believe and follow Jesus Christ, I would say is how much do we really want to do His will? As a kid, I didn't want to do His will. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't saved. And we can see that in people's lives, can't we? To the degree that they want to please God, to do those things that would be pleasing to Him. We can see how much their hearts are yielded towards Him. Now, one of the things that is going on here, like I said before, just because we want to do it doesn't mean we always do it. And there are times, even if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, where my will is stronger than my desire to do God's will. Now, one of the things that is inherent in this uh, verse, teach me to do your will for you are my God, what is implied is a need to be taught. A need to learn how to do His will because we don't do it naturally. I remember reading once, and I've always liked this, somebody asked uh, Mark Twain what his first lie was, a man who wrote many fantastical stories and could string along a pretty good lie. And he said, you'd be better off asking me what my first truth was. I was a born liar. First thing I did was lie. Babies cry out. Why are they crying out? They sound hungry. Are they hungry? No, they're not hungry. They're just being ignored and they don't like it. So they'll cry out and make you think something's wrong so that you pick them up, so that you pay attention. He said, I've been lying since the day I was born. I had to be taught to tell the truth. To a certain extent, isn't that true? Now, while a lot of times children are too honest, you know, sometimes they have to be learned how to not say the truth. We're not saying don't, we're not saying lie, we're just saying you don't need to say that, you know. But we have to also learn how to say the truth, especially when it hurts us. A lot of times we're not worried about saying the truth if it hurts another person, but if it hurts us, if it would cause us problems, well, now I don't know if I want to tell the truth. Maybe I'll tell a lie so I can get out of this pain that I'm putting myself into. I'll tell the lie to get out of the trouble I am in. We, we naturally do that. It is natural for us to do our own will. It is not natural for us to do the will of another person. We are all sinners. We are all selfish, willful sinners wanting to do our own thing. And whether it is uh, growing up and learning to do the will of a father or a mother or a grandfather or grandmother over us or a teacher in our class whether it is marrying and learning how to do the will of another person that I've pledged my life to, and, and then I think to myself, I don't want to do what they want me to do. And we have to learn how to do their will, what is pleasing to our spouse. Tough stuff, isn't it? And then we also have to learn to do God's will. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily, even for those that want to follow him. As Paul said, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the bad I don't want to do, that's the thing I do. So the psalmist says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Lord, it's your will. You're my God. I can't do it on my own. I must have you teach me. We need God to teach us. 
We, we aren't going to figure it out on our own, and, and as much as other people around us can help us, ultimately we need God to teach us to do His will. That's what the psalmist is saying, Lord, teach me, show me, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. I can't do it on my own. It is, an, it is implied in the text, even though he doesn't say I don't have the capability, it's implied by asking for teaching. You know, do you ask somebody to teach you to do something you already know how to do? Rarely, maybe if you just want a different technique. Right? I don't go asking people how to make scrambled eggs. Sometimes people want to give me their advice, but I don't go asking for it. I kind of know how to do that. But there might be other things that I don't know how to do, and I go asking about it. There may be things I haven't done in a while, and I'll go asking about it. Well, the psalmist doesn't know how to do God's will on their own. They need God to teach them. and We're in the same boat, aren't we? Left to ourselves, we don't know how to do what is pleasing to God. We aren't 100% sure what is pleasing to God. We need Him to teach us what is pleasing to Him. And that word teach, it's, a, it's kind of a, a fun word in the Hebrew there. It, it, it means literally to goad. You know, to, uh, to, to, in, to, to encourage an animal to keep moving. To prod it, to poke it along. Okay? It, it kind of has the imagery of, of you want to go straight, but the animal wants to go to the left. So you have to kick it back to the right. And then it decides, I'll go to the right, and then you've got to kick it back to the left. And then it says, you know, I'd really like to stop here. And you've got to poke it in the rear to get it to move on and keep going. To goad something along. That's what he's saying here, to teach me. It, it's something where you need to continue to propel me forward, Lord. I need your help. Prod me along. Teach me. I don't know if you've ever uh, ridden a horse or a mule. There's a reason why we call mules stubborn. And we sometimes call people stubborn as a mule. One summer I worked up in Colorado on a dude ranch, a Christian dude ranch, and we, we rode horses for the most part. But my, my boss bred mules. And uh, he had several mares and he'd borrow a donkey and uh, he'd breed mules, and that's, a, that's an education right there. And he was a mule rider, and he liked to take these mules up on the ridges and, and, and uh, go on long rides. And one of the, the things I coveted that summer I worked for him was to become a certified mule rider, get a chance to ride one of those mules. And I did one day. And you've got to understand, none of us used uh, spurs with the horses. You, you didn't need them. And we wouldn't let any guests use spurs. You didn't need them. My boss, he put spurs on when he rode his mule. But he didn't hand out spurs. Now, a horse, you can get it to go just by squeezing your ankles in a little bit. You know, squeeze your legs in, it'll, it'll go. And you can guide it and direct it, actually, just with your legs, if you want. And, and that's how he taught us. He was the kind of guy, he could take a saddle and completely loosen it and just set it on top of a horse, and he could ride that horse at a full canter, in a circle, in the corral, and not fall off. Well, I, and I, so I learned pretty good how to ride a horse, and I got on one of those mules, and I want to tell you, I never got such a workout in my life uh, trying to get that mule to go. 
The entire time I rode that mule, I was working my legs as hard as I could, squeezing my heels into him, as, and trying to just get into the uncomfortable places to get that mule to keep going. I had to goad it along. I had to constantly be goading it or it was not going to listen to me. And it had a lot tougher hide than most horses and it was a lot wider than most horses so you had to do a lot of work with it to get it to go. I think sometimes we're like that. We, gotta, we need the Lord to keep working on us and help us to get there. That's what that word teach means, to goad. When he says teach me, he's not saying, Lord, set me down in a chair and write something on the blackboard for me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you, you need to keep goading me along. I need you to teach me. To, when I want to go to the left and it's, I'm getting off course, Lord, prod me back to the center line. If I go off to the right, Lord, prod me back to that center line. If I stop and I want to start eating some of these weeds that I know aren't good for me and they're going to upset my stomach, but they're so tasty in my mouth, Lord, give me that sharp poke in the rear there. Get me running off so I don't eat this bad thing that I'm not supposed to eat. Teach me the way I should go. Teach me to do your will. Prod me and poke me and guide me along that I might do the things that are pleasing to you because you're my God. And this uh, second part of the verse, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. That, that word lead, it, it, it's so nicely connected that word teach because teach, you know, if you're going to prod and poke somebody along, that word lead means to set your eye toward, but not to guide or direct somebody who's poking them, but to take them along. It's kind of, you know, to guide me, lead me, take me into the place. So, so the psalmist is requesting and saying, Lord, teach me. Goad me, prod me along, and then lead me. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And now level, that's very similar to last week's straight. He will make your paths straight. You know, and, and not curving all over the place, but straight. But it also had the meaning, meaning of smooth, of right, of being righteous. Well, here the word level, it has the idea of, of level, of a plateau. It's actually translated several times as, to describe a plateau. But it also has the idea of upright, of uprightness, that, that somebody is level that the ground is level, that it is upright, that it has righteousness to it. So, so I think it's a, a poetic thing where he's saying literally, lead me on level ground, on, on earth that, that is flat, that will be easy for me to walk, that's a good place to go and walk, but also the idea of righteous. Lead me on righteous ground. Let me walk in the ways of righteousness. May your good spirit lead me in these ways. And, and so by looking at this goading idea and this level ground, God's teaching us his will. It doesn't come quickly. It doesn't come naturally to us to do his will. And so this learning comes gradually as we follow the Holy Spirit. It comes gradually. 
It, it's something that you learn a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit, and, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll go off and he'll goad you on again, and you might pause and slow down and then he'll goad you on again. But to goad somebody or an, an animal or somebody requires you to stay with them. You can't direct an ox that's pulling a cart from home. You can't get it started and then let, let it go off. No, what do you have to do? You either have to walk beside it if it's pulling a sledge, or you have to sit in whatever it's pulling. You have to guide it, and you have to go with it. And the same thing with the request that the Holy Spirit would lead us on level ground, that He has to stay with us. It's gradual. It doesn't all happen at once. It has to happen over time. I read recently, just this past week, about businesses that uh, grow too soon and too fast. That, that you, even if you've got the ability, you can only grow so much at a time, otherwise you will outstrip your ability to do those things. Even if it takes off and everybody likes your product, you can't ramp up too fast because you're not ready for it. A, a person who's you know, good at making 50 widgets can't just all of a sudden start making 25,000 widgets. They've got to they gotta get there slowly. And a lot of mistakes businesses make is they, they get too big too fast. And they don't have not just the infrastructure, but they don't have the ability. They haven't gotten used to the speed or to the size, and it all comes crashing down. And I would say the same can happen in our lives as believers. Sometimes we want to know everything. And we want to be as righteous as we can be. And we want to grow in righteousness as soon as possible. And God says, just slow down. Slow down. Let me lead you. Walk with me. And hopefully our request is that, that he would teach us. But if he's going to teach you, you don't have to learn everything in one day. It's a gradual process. The learning comes gradually, day by day. It's not overnight. And it comes as we follow the Holy Spirit. Notice that he requested, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Jesus fulfills this in John chapter 14 and then later on also in 16. But in, in 14, in verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to, to your remembrance all that I said to you. One of the, the promises that Jesus gave the church, his disciples early on, and then the whole church, is that because he was leaving them, he would be able to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. It was to their benefit that he leaves because he, he was confined in flesh. He had laid aside certain glories and attributes of being God so that he could serve as a man. He didn't have the ability. I mean, just think of it, all the Christians and all the, the world today. As man, with 24 hours a day, to a certain extent, Jesus was limited. Now, I'm not saying that God is limited, and I'm not saying that Jesus in himself is limited, but that he took on limitations. God has no need of sleep, but Jesus slept. Jesus got tired. God has no need of food, but Jesus ate. He got hungry. God is all present in all places. Jesus, in taking on flesh, restricted that ability for himself. But through the Holy Spirit, he is in 
every single one of us who calls upon his name and believes in him. Each one of us has the Spirit of God living within us to guide us in life. And Jesus said, he will lead you and guide you into all knowledge. A lot of times we pray, oh, Jesus, come into my heart. You know, we teach the kids to pray, Jesus, come into my heart. And it's not exactly what it is. We, we pray that we would find him and that we would be indwelt by his Holy Spirit that we would be sealed by His Holy Spirit, that once we have Him in our lives, He will not let go of us. He will teach us and He will lead us on level ground. One of the the things that can be a danger of the way we're doing this, looking at a verse, is is that we're kind of doing helicopter reading. Oh, look at this verse, and then... We fly away, and we don't take into consideration the context that it's in. And here's the funny thing. This verse, verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. It is within a psalm of 12 verses that is a a request for intervention. The psalmist is praying to God that God would save him from his enemies. He says, they're trying to kill me. They are trying to to put me in the ground. Lord, save me from them. Destroy them on my behalf. Look at, if we go back to verse 8, we don't have to look at the whole thing, but just uh, from verse 8 to verse 10, you'll see the the context of this. Verse 8 begins with, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I trust in you. And then look at the second part. Teach me the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. This word teach is not the goad. This word teach is the word to know, yada. Give me the knowledge of the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, in verse 9, deliver me, O Lord, O Yahweh, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So, two verses requesting teaching. One is, give me knowledge. The other one is, prod me along, Lord. Teach me. Guide me. I lift up my soul to you. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And then right in the middle, deliver me, O Yahweh, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. The psalmist is is confronted with uh, terrible times. He is being attacked. He is being uh, aggravated. He is hurting And his response to that is to cry out to God. Earlier he says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. I am in struggling. I'm struggling. I am in despair. I am hurting. What do you do when you despair? What do you do when you struggle, when you hurt? What's your natural thing to do? Is it to lash out maybe a little bit? Maybe to, to say, okay, this isn't going to get done with unless I do it. I'm going to 
I'm going to take the reins now. I'm going to decide which way we're going to go. I'm going to make something happen. Isn't that kind of our normal way of doing things? I'm being attacked. I'm at least going to raise my arms and defend myself. I'm going to fight back. But the psalmist here, and it's, it's attributed to David, but we're not sure if David truly wrote it or not, but the psalmist, he cries out to God. He looks to God for deliverance. He takes refuge in the Lord. And in doing that, he says, teach me to do your will. Is it your response when things are going tough to say, okay, God, teach me to do your will? What's pleasing to you today? What would be pleasing to you, Lord? What is the thing that you desire to do? And this is where that, that kind of that goading idea is so good that, that it doesn't happen overnight. It's an ongoing process. It's lead me by your good spirit. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. As, as I'm walking with the Lord, as I'm following His Holy Spirit, as I'm going through these trials, now I'm being attacked. Now things are happening in the world. Is our first step to say, I take refuge in the Lord. Lord, show me, teach me what is pleasing to you today. What's your will today? What would be the thing that is favorable in your eyes that I could do? What is the action I need to take? What is the heart attitude I need to have that would be pleasing to you, that would be according to your will? Teach me to do that while I'm under attack. Teach me to do that while there are people who seek to destroy me. Teach me to follow you and I will ask you to deliver me. I will look to you as my refuge. You teach me how to do your will. You're my refuge. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Is that what we do? You know, even today, and I think about the believers in the Ukraine. I don't know about you, but my heart attitude is to fight. My heart attitude is to be sad, to be sitting back and watching. I'm embarrassed to think that if I, any day in the future, would meet a Ukrainian to have to acknowledge that I'm an American. And we sat by and watched. We can't even provide enough armament to help. We won't even say we don't want Russian oil. No, we're still taking Russian oil. Land of the free, home of the brave. Doing a good job. I'm, I'm getting off track here. My hard attitude is to fight. The psalmist's hard attitude is to take refuge in the Lord. Teach me to do your will. You are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Lord, I take refuge in you. Is that our heart attitude today, that we would take refuge in the Lord? Sometimes, you know, we forget the Lord when things get tough. We, we forget Him when we're under pressure. We don't take the time even to pray when people attack us. We don't take the time to step back and think, what is God doing in this? How am I serving Him? How am I a tool for His glory and His kingdom in this moment? We oftentimes, we'll just reflectively hit back, won't we? 
We need to seek, as, as, as those that would believe in him, if he is our God, the, 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 the statement to teach me to do your will, I said at the very beginning, we should want to do what pleases God. And that's a lot easier in good times, isn't it, to say, okay, what would be pleasing to God? You know, if, if you've got a lot of money, it's, a, it's easy to say, okay, God, how would you like me to use this money? When you're kind of trying to figure out how you're going to pay your next week's bills, it's harder to say, Lord, how do you want to use this money? No, because then we say, Lord, I got this. There's not enough to go around. I'll catch you next time. Right? When times get tough, it's harder. And we especially need to seek God's will in bad times. We especially need to seek what would His will be when things get tough. In those hard times, those bad times, even today when the world is seemingly going bad. If we rely upon ourselves, we're toast. But it's amazing the things God can do, isn't it? He can take down the mighty. He can defend and support those who are weak. Do we truly believe it? Do we seek Him out even in the bad times? Do we say when things are going bad, okay, the more things are going bad, the more I need to seek God. Take refuge in Him. I have enemies that are trying to destroy me, so I need to find out even more how to do God's will. The more I'm attacked, the more I need to ask myself and, and to seek God and say, Lord, teach me to do those things that are pleasing to you. Teach me to do that which you find acceptable and favorable. Teach me to do your will. That's what the psalmist is saying here. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen easily. It's a day-by-day -day walk with the Lord through the power of His Holy Spirit that He would be our refuge, not just when things are good, but especially when they're bad. The psalmist has people attacking him, especially in those times when things aren't going well for us. Those are the times we really need to seek God. I pray that we would seek Him this week. I pray that our prayers for our brothers and sisters, our believers in the Ukraine, I think there are more evangelical Christians in Ukraine than other European countries. There has been great movements. We've had people from our church that have gone on mission trips there over the years, who have connections over there. As much as it's my desire to see my country do something, as much as it's my desire that I would do something, God's will is that we would seek for Him to do something. That we would take refuge in Him. That we would lift up our souls to Him. And not say, okay, God, now's the time. Let's, let's go kick some butt. No. Lord, teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Hard to say that angry. Hard to say that angry. That's a statement. It's a, it's a prayer of faith. And I want to encourage us to pray that this week together. Would you say this verse with me one more time? Psalm 143, verse 10. 
Teach me to do Your will, for You are my God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. Heavenly Father, we pray that Your good Spirit would lead us. Lord, that You would teach us to do Your will. Those things that are pleasing to You. We have so much of the world's wisdom in us. So much of the world's understanding. Help us to trust in You. To take refuge in You, Father. Whether it's events on the world stage or even just smaller, our own lives, our families. Lord, we might be under attack by the very people we love. We may have struggles at work and people who are uh, plotting against us. It can all seem very small and petty. We can take care of it ourselves. We don't need to involve You. Lord, You care about us. The small and the petty things are important to You. And instead of taking them into our own hands, Lord, we pray that we would seek You out. That we would take refuge in You. That we would live as those who proclaim You as our God. And instead of seeking to do our own thing, that we would instead ask You to teach us what Your will is. How we can do Your will. And Lord, may You lead us on level ground in the paths of uprightness. Father, we pray that for anybody here who recognizes in their heart they do not desire to do Your will. The desire to do Your will doesn't even come to them, Lord. But they would like to desire to do Your will. They would want to follow Jesus. We pray, Lord, that You would prick their conscience. That they would see the difference in their own heart from what Your Word says. And that they would desire to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow Him. Father, we pray that You would give us the desire to do Your will. We pray, Father, that You would help us to draw closer to You in these difficult days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.